Welcome to The Curious Sheep, the podcast for everything sheep. We'll ask questions, challenge ideas, learn from each other, and share the wonderful world of farming and all the fun that goes with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro at shepherding, just bought your first sheep, or live in the city and are curious about farming, I hope you can gain some knowledge for your own farm or a tidbit of farm info to share at your next dinner party. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Curious Sheep Podcast. This week, I managed to get a hold of my vet, Dr. Amanda Topp from Linwood Vet Services, and we sat down and talked about sheep breeding. We all know we can't do much on our sheep farms unless our sheep have babies once in a while, so we talk everything from a used estrus cycle to rams and how we can manage all of that. We talk different breeding programs, different tools we can use for that, and then we also cover some basics of pregnancy. I hope you enjoy, and if you make sure you listen all the way to the end, she's even going to tell you what her favorite sheep is. A little bit about yourself. Um, why did you become a vet? Why do you love sheep so much? <laughs> sure. Um, so a little bit about me. I uh, actually grew up on a dairy farm outside of Embro. Um, spent a lot of time there on the farm, and that's the reason I became a vet. I love animals of all sorts especially ones that i can eat and <laughs> it's a bonus <laughs> and i really love talking with farmers and working on projects and figuring out how to make everyone's operation um better better for the animals better for the farmer better all around so that's really why i went to vet school um i can say i didn't have a lot of sheep experience um, growing up, we had a, a few 4-H lambs, but that was about it. Um, and I really got into the sheep when uh, I started at Linwood Veterinary Services. And as the new grad, I got to do all the sheep and goat work at the clinic. And that's where my love of sheep started. I think that happens to a lot of people. They, have like, they don't have that sheep experience, but are somehow thrown into it. And then they kind of discover sheep are awesome. Yeah, and... and learn a lot along the way yeah and it's really awesome that you do have some very specific sheep knowledge and experience now because in some parts of um, Canada or even parts of Ontario it's really hard to find a vet that has specific sheep experience so it's really awesome and I think more and more sheep sheep experienced vets are out there so that's really exciting yes and it, it definitely took me a few years to become at least I think reasonably competent. Yeah. No, it's good. You're very competent. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a little one at home too. So you get to juggle the whole mom, work, farm, all that fun stuff. Right? I do. I, he's uh, nine and a half months old now. And yeah, I've got him to look after and I'm raising my dad's dairy heifers for him and living the vet life and just trying to do her all. Hi everyone and welcome to the Curious Sheep Podcast. Today I've got with me our vet, Dr. Amanda. Hi Amanda. Hello. So I think we're going to add in a bit of a disclaimer here, right? You're the vet for our operation here and we're going to talk about some things, probably a little more specific to our operation here, but we'll kind of cover, I want to cover breeding today, but always remember, talk to your own vet, own vet about things that uh, should be happening on your farm. Anything else you want to add about that? I think that's pretty much it. Um, 
I will say that from the vet perspective, there is a lot of value in getting to know your vet. And from us being on farm and getting to know your operation and how things work, we can give a lot better advice if we spent some time with you on farm. Yeah, exactly. Um, us as a farm, we're actually on the Ontario Sheep Flock Health Program. And that's a bit of a, it's a program that keeps us accountable and makes sure we do that yearly vet visit with you but even if you're not on you know a health program or something like that it's always really nice to at least once a year have the vet out go over things like your standard operating procedures for you know maybe big things on the farm but maybe also specific things on the farm like treating a lamb for pneumonia if you're having issues like that yeah we we actually have quite a few producers that kind of they're not necessarily on that program but they do something similar and we go out every few months or twice a year and just sit down and look at everything go through protocols and make sure we're all on the same page so today we can't do anything on the farm unless we make babies so i want to cover sort of sheep reproduction 101 are you ready oh i'm ready <laughs> okay so first of all why don't we cover the you side of things so maybe i'll I'll get you to talk a bit about the ewe's anatomy and what's needed to have her, you know, ovulate and make eggs and then also carry babies. And then we'll cover a bit about the ram um, and hormones too. Hormones are very important in sheep. Yes. So I guess general anatomy, um, sheep are mammals, so they have a uterus and the uterus in sheep is what we uh, call bicornate. So it's got two horns um, and both those horns can support pregnancy and they're attached to a uterine body that then goes through the cervix. Um, the interesting thing about sheep and which can be a management um, issue is that their cervix is um, has a lot of folds and rings in it. So when we do artificial insemination in sheep, we cannot do it cervically as we would do in cattle um so that's kind of the basic anatomy they natural breeding with sheep is is key that way <laughs> yes it's it's the most probably economical and simplest to manage yep. um so that's yeah that's the anatomy and i guess kind of how the hormones work do you want to talk about the estrus cycle yeah let's cover basic estrus cycle right sure basically it's 17 to 19 days yep um so basically what happens in a ewe is she has a follicle which contains the egg that produces estradiol it causes a release of gnrh which causes an lh surge and after that lh surge that causes that follicle to release the egg so that whole process takes less than two days so now we have an animal that's ovulated and that egg starts to travel down towards the uterine body and where that follicle ovulated that tissue becomes what we call a corpus luteum or cl and it starts to produce progesterone so if all things go according to plan and that egg is fertilized then in about 12 days it sends a signal um 
to the that CL to keep producing progesterone to maintain the pregnancy and on about day 18 it will implant into the uterus and if that egg doesn't get fertilized in about two weeks the cycle starts over again yep so yeah it's you know those two two and a half three weeks there's a lot that needs to happen yes and there's a lot that we can do management wise body condition is an important one and sort of we on our farm here we do a flush ration so we bump up the plane of nutrition a bit those two weeks before lambing just to make sure that we can sort of bump up body condition a little bit but I don't know maybe there's a better way to explain it but I always, I always say that if we flush them and give them a bit better feed while they're releasing the, those eggs we can kind of trick them into thinking "Woo, I'm getting lots of yummy feed I'll drop a couple extra eggs or something yeah so it, it it's actually an evolutionary trait we're taking advantage of um, so basically way back when when they used to be wild animals they would ovulate however many eggs that they thought the environment and how much feed was available could they could support so if it was a really lean year with not a lot of feed they'd have very few lambs um, but if it's a good year with lots of feed they'd have lots so with our system here where we can control what we feed and we can provide them with really great feed as Romy does um, they think that hey the nutrition is great there's lots of food I can support lots of lambs and make lots of milk so they'll ovulate more mm-hmm um what's next um seasonality in sheep so seasonality in sheep is always fun um i find within our practice area it's very dependent on breed some breeds are more seasonal <clears throat> more seasonal than others um but i also find that management and overall health of the ewe and the rams um, can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, say, a annual lambing, lambing system, use our bread in the fall and winter, and in the fall and winter, they are more likely to be ovulating because there's a drop in light levels and what happens in yeah. their brain with that. So what happens there is as we move into what we call the short day, so our, our long summer days start to turn into our shorter fall days, um, the, uh, that difference in light stimulates an increase of melatonin production from the pineal gland and that is what starts the hormone cascade, the uh, GNRH and LH pulses that start both the ewes and the rams to cycle. Mm-hmm. So we've got lighting and feed and body condition that can all help with the cycle and releasing eggs. Let's cover a bit on teasers and things like ram effect. Sure. Um, So just kind of, I guess, a bit of a background on what a teaser is. Um, Basically, a teaser is a ram that was vasectomized. Um, So he has all the normal hormones. Um, He still has his testicles. He still has his testicles. That was my number one question when I posted about using a teaser on the farm. People were like, oh, I'll just use a weather. No, he has to have his testicles. Yes, because without his testicles, he doesn't produce very many hormones. Um, Yeah, so the surgery is actually really similar to what is done on people. 
Yeah. So it it actually is really, really much the same. Ryan was not around when we did our last group of teasers. He came quick and looked and went, oh gosh, I'm out of here. Yes. So yeah, all that's what we do is we basically make a ram that is a ram in every way, but cannot inseminate a you with semen. So I guess the idea behind that is... Um, when you expose ewes to a um, cycling ram with all his normal hormones, he can stimulate them into cycling. So what, Romy, what is like the benefits, like what are the benefits of that? So we have found actually maybe with teasers or even you can use rams as that having that ram effect too, but you need to make sure they can't physically mount those ewes you could say run them down the feed alley once a day or something um, but make sure that those rams are completely separate from the ewes um, the best way to do that is have them on a different farm in a different barn no sight no smell no sound so that when they first sort of meet that teaser or those rams they're like "Ooh, what's going on boys so we do two weeks before the real rams go in, we do our flush ration and we put the teasers in with those ewes. For the most part, we have found here with the new barn, we keep the rams in the old barn, weaned ewes in the new barn, so that when we have to do that, that flushing and the, the teaser effect that they've, I think, been apart long enough that we're still having that effect. And that teaser sort of, it triggers the ewe to have her first cycle, which is generally weaker than a second or a third cycle when they're coming back into that breeding season. Our last group was really awesome. We noticed that I think 95% of the ewes all lambed on their first cycle. Be interesting to see with our next group, which is due in, no, two groups. They're due in July. They were bred in February. So we're getting into a bit of that out of season. But when we were ultrasounding yesterday, we noticed that it, there was a much bigger range in fetus size. So there might be more first and second cycle on that group. That might have to do a bit more with seasonality, not so much teaser effect. Yeah, probably more to seasonality. Yeah. But I would say the big benefit of a teaser is, one, it helps you cycle if they're out of season. Um, and then it also makes that nice tight lambing group, which makes it much easier, I think, to manage. Yeah, for us, it's helping us um, tighten that lambing group a little bit. And uh, I, I think we're getting, I need to look at maybe some better numbers, but I almost wonder if we're getting more lambs per you because that teeter, it's when they're going through the first cycle, they're with the teaser. And if their second cycle is stronger and they're dropping more eggs, I think we might be getting more lambs. And and that is something that other people do see. Yeah. I should really... I probably have the numbers somewhere to compare that easily, but I'm well, actually doing it. you've got to find the time to do it. <laughs> replacements. That's our next topic. How do we breed replacements? Young stock. So that's always a tricky one because they're not... Ewe lambs are not necessarily as ready per se as mature ewes are because they've never done it before yes they'll hit uh, it's so breed breed specific too for when they hit sexual maturity and it's all that stuff farm specific and season specific 
Yeah, they're definitely more seasonal. You notice that underlying seasonality way more in a ewe lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely find that here too. We we breed them year-round because we figure if they're old enough and body weight is good enough and they've matured, if they catch, they catch. It's a bonus. But we know we've got that backup of the next couple breeding groups if they don't catch. But definitely... If you need to, or if you're, if you're definitely counting on you lambs being bred, aim for aim for a fall, winter, seasonal breeding for those girls. Yeah, best results for you you lambs in season. Mm-hmm. And the rule of thumb, 70, 70% of mature body weight. Yep. And uh, with our dorsets and our crosses here, we're, we aim to have them lamb out the first time at a year old so we're doing that first breeding at seven to eight months old and for the most part that that works really well when we hit that year old at first lambing that is the most profitable for life lifetime production when they're when they're a ewe is there is there much of a difference on other breeds for that for those benchmarks Um, some some of the bigger breeds that tend to be larger framed it takes them longer to get to their 70 percent of mature weight um and i honestly find that it really depends on a farm's feeding regime and management um about what age they breed their ewe lambs at um if you have a really good nutrition program and you feed your lambs well they grow really well they they become sexually mature earlier and they're bigger, nicer animal that's going to lamb in much easier. Um, you can really gain some good economics that way. So using the teasers and feed, that's kind of our number one here on our farm for breeding ewes and managing that breeding cycle. We're leaving the rams in with the ewes for two cycles. So we've kind of shortened that up a fair bit. So we're doing about 25 days. There are producers, if they're naturally breeding, they'll do do 35 days and catch that third cycle. We found here though, that third cycle is just catching tail enders and it's a real pain in the ass to have to wait for, you know, five ewes to lamb at the end. They might as well go with the next group. And because we're doing another group, we do a group every other month, it's pretty easy to catch those. Uh, there's, uh, I think we'll cover cedars and MGA as well. So there's quite a few producers out there using hormone programs to help synchronize and breed use. Yeah. So we, we within our clinic have a lot of producers that use cedars. Um, what is a cedar? So a cedar is a small T shaped, um, plastic piece and it has a coating on it that is progesterone. So it is a um, synthetic progesterone insert that goes vaginally in a U. And what does cedar mean? C-I-D-R. Isn't it, uh, it's a controlled intervaginal hormone release device, something like that. Sure. I honestly <laughs> didn't know what it stood for. I think so. If you look at the, doesn't it say on the box? I haven't, Everyone... I haven't read a label in ages. <laughs> Everyone just calls it a cedar, right? You yeah. just know what you're talking it's about. The, the thing where you just, I don't know, forget certain amount of information to make way for new information. Yeah. I mean, you don't really need to know, right? Everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so so the idea behind a cedar is um, 
it's really good for out of season breeding because it provides progesterone and that's what an animal needs to kind of jumpstart her cycle so the idea behind it is we insert with a, a special applicator gun the cedar and that provides progesterone and we want to leave it in there for almost two weeks um, and that basically mimics the animal being in the middle part of their cycle what we call the luteal phase yeah so if you're doing a group of ewes you're pretty much stopping everything where it is to make sure that they're all lined up yeah on the same timing so we're, we're basically con taking control of their cycle so ewes that are cycling it kind of takes it over and ones that aren't cycling it basically starts it mm -hmm. so and then basically what happens is we pull that cedar which um, causes the progesterone level to drop um, which then results in an LH surge and ovulation um, and often we give a, a product called Folagon to help with the timing and to make our window of when these use cycle to be very small yeah so the Folagon it's directly related to that drop or that actual ovulation, right? And dropping the egg. Yes, yes. It's basically trying to control ovulation timing. Yeah. So 12 to 14 days is usually how long people leave the cedar in. Yep. Take the cedar out, give them their folagon yep. injection. Normally we give it at the time of when you pull the cedar. Yeah. We don't need to handle them more. <laughs> yes, it and, cuts down on handling. Yeah. And rams go in... How many hours after? Normally the next day. Yeah. And ram power is really important for this, right? So so ram power is really important with cedar sinking. Um, and this is where sometimes people get um, a little caught up and you don't get as good a result. Is you need somewhere between five um, and seven ewes per one ram. Because they're all dropping those eggs at the same time. So they're all cycling within the, like a couple of days. Yeah, you better have enough <laughs> enough swimmers to, yeah, to and deal if around. Yeah, if it's in season, you can get away with a little less ram power. But out of season, your bottom line will really hurt if you don't have enough rams. Yep. And we have always found on, on the farm here, cedars have never been a benefit to us as far as increasing any conception. Some people also think that using cedars will also get them more lambs, which we also have never found. Um, cedars can do a lot of stuff for you, but you also need to make sure they're in good body condition, right? Yes. So I can, there's lots of products and protocols and things that we can try on the veterinary side of things to get more lambs and more pregnancies. Um, but Good management and good breeding stock is the foundation to having a good lamb crop. Um, and just a kind of a bit of an add-on, what we do sometimes find if we increase our dose of Folagon, um, we can actually get more lambs because it will cause more eggs to ovulate. Mm -hmm. Is there a bit of a link in that um, if a ewe is in better body condition and better health to begin with, will she drop more eggs anyways with that Folagon yes. injection? Yes, yeah. for sure. Basically, an animal in good health, nice feet and legs, good body condition, lots of food, lots of bunk space, good ventilation, they they do everything better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cedars, I think we covered everything on that, eh? 
I think that covers it. Yeah. Uh, the other option for doing a little bit of work with hormones is in the feed. So MGA is our choice yes. for that. So MGA is um, a product we add to feed. Um, normally what happens is us vets write a script um, and then that goes to the feed mill and they provide a feed with it mixed in. Um, that seems to be the best way and basically what MGA does is it basically causes nothing to cycle and when you take it off they go through a heat which generally is non-fertile and then the second heat is the one that's fertile. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy thing to do in the fact that you just have to feed it the problem with MGA is you have to be very consistent. It should be fed twice a day at the same time every day, and you have to make sure that each animal gets the exact right amount. And when you say at the same time every day, if you are feeding at 6.13 in the morning, they get fed at 6.13 in the evening for, for two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> so it sounds really easy, right? I'll just feed them twice a day. But you need to be on the ball with it. Because if you miss a feeding by a couple hours, it can it, mess up the whole thing. It will mess up the whole yeah. thing. Not just can, yeah. will. Will. <laughs> yes. We, it, it's something that was more popular quite a few years ago with, with, you know, lots of good cedar protocols and good handling facilities and, um, good management. We find that people are moving away from it. Yeah. It's a little bit easier with the cedars, you don't have to be quite quite as precise on a daily. You have basis. a little more flexibility to tailor stuff to your management style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our third thing, or no, I guess we're like on the fifth breeding style, right? We natural teaser cedars, MGA, and lighting. I want to do a whole podcast on lighting with maybe a producer that's doing a lighting program. But just quick, what does lighting have to do with? A breeding program yeah so if if we remember back um, when Romy was talking that sheep are what we call short day breeders um, and they're seasonal and that's because the amount of daylight that they sense during a day through their um, pineal gland um, is what controls whether they're um, whether they cycle or not so what we can do and and some producers do this very successfully is you can control and basically trick the ewes and the rams into cycling out of season by controlling the light. So what it ends up being is you need to expose these animals to two months of 20 hours of light and then you take that away and it takes multiple weeks and you basically stimulate short day after that yeah, you're basically you're basically tricking them into thinking it's summertime and it's turning into fall yes that's exactly it's, it <laughs> when it's doing the opposite outside yes the the hardest part of that is any natural light can really affect how well this works so you have to have a barn that you can close up from natural light yeah. and that like even like getting in from a crack in a window or a fan that's running I've heard even if someone, you know, if you forget something in the barn and you run in quick and turn on the lights to grab whatever it is you need, even that messes them up. Yep. Or if the hydro goes out, yeah. 
it, it, it can work very well and it can be a very cost effective way to, to manage, excuse me, the seasonality of sheep, but it, uh, it can be a little finicky. Yeah. Sheep in general, finicky, right? It just goes with it. But they're lots of fun. Oh, yes. Anything else on that side that you can think of on the you side? Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I would say most people do some combination of cedars, teasers, and just natural in-season breeding. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that's the one half of the equation. Second half is rams, and they really are half of your flock because if you don't have them, you, you don't, don't get babies. Lambs. Yeah. So... We did talk a little bit about ram power with cedars, um, but let's go all the way back to, we'll discuss a bit about ram health. Kids being home, we do biology lessons all the time when we're talking about how rams make babies and all that fun stuff. So I, I was talking to them about, we had a group of ewe lambs that didn't breed very well. And when I looked back, we had used the same rams for the rebreed. And so that's 60 days, and that 60 days is very important because it takes 60 days for those sperm to develop. So if you know the day you need to breed, you better make sure things are going right 60 days previous, right? Yes, yes. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a few ways to make sure that happens. Um, one thing is what we call a breeding soundness exam. And that is exactly what it sounds like. We examine the rams to make sure that they are functioning properly, they're healthy, and that they have semen that is the right size, shape, and will swim where it needs to go. Yep. So that would be if you did semen tests. So you need a vet to do that, pretty much. You need yes. to electro-ejaculate the ram, and then the vets are... I mean, some people are probably good enough at it, but you need to know what you're looking at under yeah. the microscope. Then. You need to look at it under the microscope to look for uh, the motility, the normal size and shape of the sperm, and how many there are. Um, and then the other half of that, which is probably just as important, is that the, you need to look at the ram to see if they're, they have good feet and legs, that they're in good body condition, everything else is healthy. Because you need a healthy ram. Yeah. And they can, gosh, some of the, we have the odd one. They spend the whole three weeks running after use. They, they lose so much body condition because they're working so hard, which is not the best thing either. Like we've, it's, we've gotten rid of rams like that because they work themselves too hard and they don't know when to stop. Well, it's a lot of hard work. And if they don't have a little bit of self-preservation. Yep. Um, physical ram exam. That's always fun. Like yeah. to, like to play with balls once in a while. Exactly. Right? <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean you so for anyone who doesn't know, rams have two testicles just like every other mammal. And we need to count to make sure there are and two. You wanna make sure there's two and, and they have what we call pendulous testicles, which means they hang down. And that's actually how the ram controls the temperature of the sperm as it's developing, as if it's cold outside up it goes closer to the body to be warm and if it's hot out it goes further down and hangs a little further away from the body to stay cool yeah because heat can really affect sperm production yeah so 
Yeah, um, one good thing that um, I think all sheep producers should do is examine their rams and measuring scrotal circumference is a good way to, um, it, it's a good marker for fertility. Yeah. The bigger the nuts, the better the breeder. And the bigger the nuts, the more prolific his daughters too, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And ovary size and that kind of thing in, in any daughters. So say if you're shopping for a ram, always make sure to check how big the testicles are. And basic, basically, if you're checking testicles, you also want to check to make sure that all the cords feel good on the way down. And then you have the two testicles. I don't know. What's a good comparison? Like size-wise? Size-wise. Oh, it depends on the ram. They're, they're oblong. They're an oval, but... Yes, they're... Baseball-sized-ish, but yep, long. but long. And then they have the little kind of peanut thing on the end, and that's important. So you want to make sure there's no swelling there, there's no abrasions, Yeah, and you want like And you want both testicles to be symmetrical. Non-symmetrical ones should disappear. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. They can, they can go have other jobs. Yes. And anything else about rams? They do quick work. Maybe for people who aren't familiar with how actual breeding works. It's a quick business. Quick business and they're on to the next. Yeah. And hormones in rams are pretty important too. They'll go around and when we're feeding we notice it. The ram will usually walk up and down the back of those ewes sniffing. He's got his, gosh, what's it called? Fleming. Fleming's Fleming response. response. Yep. When he kind of curls his, it's their upper lip up. So they'll, they'll figure out who's in heat and what needs to be done. And we were talking about with the cedars or MGA. So if you're synchronizing them and everyone's in heat, you need a pretty, pretty high, sorry, no, low ratio, high ratio. You need more rams per use. Yeah. Fewer so. ram, few, oh my gosh. <laughs> Few use per ram if they're synchronized because there's so many in heat. But if we're doing natural breeding, that estrus cycle for each ewe, um, you know, there's, there's, it's spread out a bit more over the breeding season. In season recommendation, one ewe uh, per 25 or yeah, one ram per 25 ewes. Yeah, like we've pushed it to one to 40. Yeah, it, it, it depends a little bit on the RAM, depends a little bit on the operation. Yeah. But somewhere, somewhere around 30, 25, 30 is a pretty safe, safe yeah. number. And I find, I find we can push it a little bit more too if we have multiple RAMs per group. Yes, because the more. RAMs can kind of make up for each other a little bit. If one's slacking, bit. another one can work a yeah. little harder. And they can give each other a bit of competition too. Yes, which makes them breed more. Mm-hmm. And we, the more babies, the better. That is the goal. Implantation then happens at the end of their 19-ish day cycle. And hopefully that ewe's nice and healthy. Her uterus is ready for that implantation. You want to cover from there? Kind of what sure. happens in development? So, so basically, yeah, it's about day 18 that embryo implants into the uterine lining and we start to get the formation of um you've got your umbilical cord and your placental support tissue um 
and uh, what happens in in most ruminants is we have what we call a, a cotyledon and a caruncle that attach um, and make a placentome, which is how the uterus and the placenta are attached and how they um, the U provides nutrition to the lamb. So basically there's all these little buttons attachments. So um, it's basically the placenta is attached to the uterus by all these little points. Yeah, that's really easy to see when you see the afterbirth, right? It's yes. Kind of like pepperoni on a pizza. There's yep. very specific buttons. Yeah, that, it looks a lot like pepperoni on a pizza. <laughs> bon appetit, everyone. That, that's what lunch. us farmers and vets do. We compare everything <laughs> to food. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you get that attachment and, and that starts to grow and basically the, the gestation period of a ewe is 150 days. So it starts out being microscopic and it slowly grows over time and the actual fetus size, um, it grows a lot in the last month. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of framework that gets done and then all of a sudden that last month yes they put on a lot of weight they probably i would say double in size in the last month yeah and nutrition wise i know it's really important for when that placenta is developing and those attachments from the placenta onto the uterus that's sort of first 30 days is really key yeah so part of it is is Yes, we need to provide good nutrition to the growing fetus. Um, the other part of it is if we have really good nutrition, the U is like, hey, things are great. I've got lots of feed. I can definitely support these lambs when, when they're born. So, you know, we're much more likely to keep all of the um, embryos alive and have multiples and, and healthy, well-formed, well-grown lambs without any defects yeah and that that 30 days is also the point where say when if you're having lots of triplets and you're noticing that there's variability in the size of your triplets when they're born a lot of that goes back to that first 30 days because one of one or two of those triplets didn't have their placenta attached properly or developed properly Mm -hmm. maybe something was missing in the and they didn't get as much nutrition from mom yeah, right and, from that beginning point. And what we'll also find is is ewes that didn't have as good a nutrition through their pregnancy, um, we'll see more what we call early embryonic mortality, so pregnancy loss um, because of insufficient nutrition. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we got them bred. Hopefully they've implanted properly. How do we find out if there's actually babies in there? So, I mean, I guess you could take the old school approach and just wait patiently. (laughs) Um, But uh, in this day and age, we we like to uh, make use of our technology and we like to ultrasound um, all our use. Um, There's a pretty big window you can ultrasound in, um, anywhere from 30 days to about 100, 120. Um, But there is kind of a nice sweet spot somewhere around that 45 to 60 days is the really nice time to ultrasound yeah um couple of reasons one is you can see a lot more in that time range Uh, also the chance of any early embryonic mortality any pregnancy loss is fairly low at that point and when so when you say 30 days that's 30 days after the rams are after breeding after breeding not from the 
beginning of yes, things. So after make breeding. sure the rams have been out. We get past that, yeah, early embryonic stage. And hopefully, once we're at that 45-50, we're, we're smooth sailing. Yes, and, and basically, ultrasounding is, is a really good management tool. Um, and Romy uses it very well in the fact that we're going to ultrasound everything. We know which ones are pregnant, so they go into one group. And the ones that are open, what we can do with them, instead of waiting to see if they lambed or not, we can take them and we can put them into another group and rebreed them. Yep. It's a lot of money saving. Yeah, because if we're not feeding empty ewes, we need to we can save a lot of money that way. Don't want to feed the slackers. No, no. And generally here, we're giving them the last number of years. It's worked really good. Mature ewes get a se- one second try. And for the most part, that's worked really well. If we wait any longer than that, they are getting way too fat here with the feed we have. Um, but yeah, we've been, it's been really easy to manage it that way. And when we do ultrasounding, it usually lines up within a week or two of the next breeding group anyway. So they kind of just get kicked in with the rams right away and hopefully and they, they catch. get their next try. Yep. And really that gives them... They've got two cycles to try for the first round. There's a month break in between, so say two more cycles or three, and then their second try adds on another two. So really, if a ewe can't catch within six cycles, she's not useful anyways. There's there's something wrong that she's not getting bred, so she can be more helpful doing other jobs. Yes, different different career. Yeah, different different career path. Career change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess probably some people have never seen a you being ultrasounded, um, unless you've been following Romy's Facebook and Instagram. Um, but uh, basically, how it works is is we have an ultrasound machine um, that's got a circular probe on it and some ultrasound gel. It's fairly similar to what they use in people, actually. Yeah. Um, not quite as an expensive of a machine. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, maybe a little more durable. Um, <laughs> it can get kicked. <laughs> the quality, the, the image quality isn't quite as good, but it works for us. Um, so basically what we do is we have our machine set at three and a half or five and a half megahertz and uh, put some ultrasound gel on the probe. And there's a little region called the inguinal region on a sheep just kind of... Um, beside in front of the udder, kind of in front of the back legs, and you can use that probe and you can look around in the uterus. And it's pretty easy. For the most part, there's no wool there. Yes, that, that's <laughs> part of the reason we use that area is there's no wool. But uh, I know some groups will go through and, or if they're, if they're ewe lambs and maybe haven't been sheared, it can soak up a lot you, of lube. You use a lot more gel, yes. Yep. But yeah, for the most part, it's a nice little spot there. And I guess maybe if everyone wants to see a picture, check out my Instagram. But it's fairly, fairly straightforward. The dark stuff on the picture is fluid and the white stuff is either tissue or bone. And at that 40 to 50, 60 days, it's pretty much a circle with a, a black circle with. A white, white in it. A white fetus. A fetus speck. Once in a while, you can kind of start telling if there's a little head on it. Yeah, at 30 days, it's probably a little white speck. At 
60 days, it's getting to be a large mouse, maybe Ish, yeah. size, about that, maybe a small rat. Yeah. What's And then because we can see them so distinctly, that's a good time. Um, if you want to count fetuses, you, yes. can, you can estimate how many If you want to count well. fetuses, that 45 to 60 days is the best. If you get much more than that, um, they get too big mm -hmm. um and with sheep because we're ultrasounding from the outside of the animal we can't um move anything around we're we're limited to what we can see so if it's that kind of age range they don't hide behind each other quite as easy yeah because yeah as soon as they get older you start seeing ribs and legs and bones yep. and that kind of stuff and, and there's just less fluid less black fluid in there um, compared to um, kind of the size of the fetus, so it's harder to distinguish the different parts. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to know how many fetuses you have, Amanda? So, I mean, it's pretty interesting, just for knowledge, but from a management perspective, it's nice to know whether you have one, two, three, or more, um, because if you're set up that way and it, it makes sense from a management perspective, you can divide those use up into different groups. So a lot of people can divide up into singles and twins and then the ones that are having triplets or quads or maybe once in a while quintuplets um, can be fed a little differently and you know have a little higher plane of nutrition. Um, Everyone does it a little different, but if you can do it, you, you can definitely gain that way. I have found, for the most part here, we haven't done it with the Dorsets and the more terminal, terminal kind of breed here. There's not enough singles or triplets in a group to make anything worthwhile to split. But now that we have the more maternal use, we're not counting, but we at least know that the, the prolific maternal use will definitely have more lambs so we're trying to manage them more in the two breeds um in the breed specific By way breeds, yeah. not so much fetal count but we've got big enough groups now of both that maybe it's going to be starting to be worthwhile to to split them up yeah it's one more management tool yeah um i find the the flocks that have a lot of rideau blood in them um they have a lot of triplets and quads, so it does help to be able to manage mm -hmm. manage those. Yeah, even at the very least, maybe sorting out ones that have singles, right? Cause yeah, because they, they don't need the take, same feed. It doesn't take a lot of effort and, to make a single. And you don't want you don't want those girls carrying just single lambs to gain too much weight, because that will um, make it a lot more difficult to lamb for them. Yes, like my big uh, oh gosh, what did we name her, Mrs. Tank? Oh, Mrs. Tank. She's probably. 250 270 pounds she's a she solid waited, girl <laughs> she waited till the last day if not she was overdue a couple and she had just a single which i figured she's square did she have a big single at least 15 pounds well it's not gigantic but it's not, also not small. tiny but yeah you can definitely tell that she was not doing the work because she was putting it on her back not not to the babies and maybe something I'll bring up with that because I asked people I posted a picture of her and I said guess how many she's gonna have and a lot of people said oh she's gonna you know three or four like she's gonna have lots but 
to know that difference between how they're carrying that weight because if they're carrying it on their backs and they're getting really fat they probably aren't feeding three lambs because if she had been likely yes if she had been pregnant with three lambs she would have had that weight not on her back end yeah she would have been skinnier a lower body condition score and i find the ones that carry a lot and you notice this too they get really wide down below yeah yeah that would be about the best way kind of pear-shaped from behind yeah yeah because this girl she was they they start carrying that fat kind of around their tail head too yes the the ones that are carrying a little too much weight yeah. Um, kind of like me after winter. Um, <laughs> got a little, a little bit of a muffin top. Yeah, um, too fluffy. <laughs> so I started running again. Mm, I have not. <laughs> Chasing kids, that helps, that helps too. Well, my kid can't walk yet, so I gotta, I gotta wait um, a few months. Soon enough, soon enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and kind of on the topic of feeding pregnant ewes, um, an interesting fact that I, I heard somewhere was that in that last month of gestation, each lamb needs like 30 grams of glucose a day. Like it's like a crazy amount of energy they need from mm-hmm. their mom to grow. Um, so it just kind of, you know, brings home the point that we need to feed them really well. And it also kind of proves that the ones that have three lambs in them, they need more feed. Yeah, yeah. I talked about that with our nutritionist in the nutrition podcast about how they end up getting so big at the end. They have so many requirements. They're growing so fast, but that you, her room and capacity and ability to get that nutrients into her body body really decreases. Yeah. It's a big one to watch it's out a, for. It's a time where management makes or breaks you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some really, in- I saw a really interesting thing. I think it was out of New Zealand where they were working on dealing with the feed cost of production in mid-gestation. So they get them past that initial important, I want to say it was like a, it's not a 30 day, it's maybe a little bit longer. 40 days or something. 40, 50 days. And then that window between your initial placental and fetus development and then before that last month where they actually need all the extra feed yeah that whole in between there they were really like pennies a day they were managing the nutrition that you was eating because if their condition is good enough in the beginning they should be able to maintain body condition on a much more limited ration through that middle gestation yeah but then it's just so important that by the end they get what they need so don't worry about your feed costs say at the beginning and at the end of pregnancy but if you need to deal with feed costs or something or you can be a bit more flexible and and manage things it's that middle Middle section yeah and but again it comes back to you need to maintain body condition you don't want them losing condition and they need to be ready for that last month where yeah things are so critical and to be able to manage that and say cut feed costs a little bit in the middle you have to know when they're in the middle yeah so you have to have some ultrasounding and and a short breeding window and and all of that things need to be yeah and you need to know what it is and then make sure you track it and write it down and and you have to be i would say fairly precise with your feed mixing and bunk space and everything like that 
Yeah, I thought it was really cool because I don't think we always think of it that way, but that's that one area that they had found they could work with some things. Yeah, and it's those kind of things, I think, in, in Ontario where we're slowly learning and getting better at some of the management and economic things to, to you know, to be able to run a profitable farm and and a farm that has good animal welfare and runs like it should be able to make a living off of it yeah which i think we can do i think you are doing that yeah i hope so there's Mm -hmm. still gigantic mortgage and farm payments but we're working on it (laughs) i think all farms have gigantic mortgage and farm payments yeah oh we have a shiny barn that we do but (laughs) it's a pretty nice barn yeah it's working well hopefully yeah I, i definitely see a lot of potential for sheep and hopefully more people can see it as a a full-time and a, a long-term style of investment and I think that that bit of a change into more producers viewing it as a long-term farm operation and investment I think that's driving a lot of this stuff in you know reproduction management and nutrition and yeah having it, more sheep vets around too right it, it, it's it all true. it all works together because you know to find the the time and and money to learn about sheep from a veterinary perspective we need to have enough clients yeah. that have good sized flocks to support us in that endeavor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly well i think we've covered just about everything anything else you can think of I don't think so. I hope I hope to have you back and we'll cover things like oh, I don't know, there's so many things we could cover, right? We could we could do a a, a disease podcast. Oh, this, which disease? Oh, we need so many. <laughs> we need one podcast for there's each like disease, right? There's like a textbook right? of them. Yeah. There's um, so many. But uh yeah, if anyone has questions on specific yeah diseases or something they'd like to learn about, yeah, from a sheep health side yeah reach out leave me a comment or send me a message and i'll make sure to put it on my list fun questions for you yet all right on a fun question what's your favorite breed of sheep so i think we've covered most of the repro 101 how to make babies my favorite sheep in general are the ones that are alive and healthy and don't (laughs) need me that's a good answer (laughs) perfect and do you have a favorite sheep movie or sheep themed book? Should I preface that by saying it can't be your sheep vet book? Well, actually, my my sheep and goat medicine textbook is probably my favorite. <laughs> it's so it's such a great textbook, and I sound like such a nerd for saying that. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite uh, a favorite sheep cartoon or anything i think i think i think my son connor needs to get a little bigger and then i will uh (laughs) oh there's lots out there i will experience them more oh yes you'll you'll be (laughs) well versed in all the cartoons soon enough yes i don't think it will take long yeah (laughs) awesome well thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy vet day and joining me and hopefully we'll have you back you're very welcome thank you Well, there you go. I hope everyone is now an expert on sheep breeding and early pregnancy in sheep. We covered a lot of stuff and I hope everyone was able to 
grab some bits of info and so that you can use those on your own farm and that you can have a really awesome breeding season um, your next go round. Keep in mind, maybe talk to your vet about some of these options as well so you can tailor some things specifically to your operation. But again, there's lots of different things we can do and good luck on your next breeding group. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you head on over to Instagram to follow us at Circle Our Lamb where I'll be posting links to the episodes as well as the show notes and any related tip sheets and materials. Feel free to ask any questions or give us suggestions for future episodes. Thanks and happy farming!